it's best to share that burden with someone, even if it's just talking to someone, even if it's just connecting with someone who has gone through the same challenge. And in this case, someone's multiple people who have gone through the same challenge to actually help you and show you that there is hope, that there is light at the end of the tunnel and that you can overcome this. And when you leverage that village, Staying motivated takes work. If you don't work on your motivation, you become unmotivated. Join Umar Jang as he shares inspirational stories and tips to get you motivated to do whatever you need to do. This is the Motivational Voice Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Motivational Voice Podcast. This is session number 40. Today, I am tackling the topic of resilience. More specifically, I am going to walk you through three principles of resilience. These three pillars can not only help you build resilience, but also change how you view challenges in your life. I am going to share part of my story. This is, as you might expect, a very personal story, but this particular experience taught me a lot about what it means to be resilient and how I can use it in my life. So let's dive right in. So what is resilience anyway? What does it mean to be resilient? Why should you care whether you are resilient or not? Let me answer the first question about resilience. Then I will share with you my three pillars of resilience. In a nutshell, resilience is the ability to bounce back quickly from a challenge that you faced in your life. So think of all of the things that you faced when you were a child, when you were growing up, all of those challenges, whether you went through a divorce, whether you went through an illness, whether you, you perhaps lost someone you loved, all of those events that you have overcome in your life make you a little more resilient. Right? So resilience is really that ability that we all have inside of us to overcome a challenge and be able to move forward and leave that challenge behind us or at least learn from that challenge. Sometimes you learn to be resilient by going through a life experience unlike any other. And that's exactly what happened to me. When I was 15 years old, a mob armed with machetes and makeshift weapons knocked on our front door. We didn't answer because we knew that what was on the other side of the door was disaster. They knocked again, louder this time, and soon they weren't knocking anymore. They wanted to break the door down and come in. I was 15 years old, so I looked to my mother and the other adults in the room to answer the door. But no one got up. No one was moving a muscle. I looked at my older sister, who is about three years older than I am, and it hit me. My mom, who generally was the first person to go to the door, didn't answer the door because she didn't speak the local language. And the murderous mob behind the door was looking for people who were from Senegal. Because days before the mob came to our door, there was a minor fight at the border between Senegalese farmers and Mauritanian herders. The Mauritanian military intervened and shot and killed two Senegalese locals. 
when the word got to Senegal, the youth took to the streets protesting the presence of Mauritanians in Senegal. During that protest, a young Senegalese man was shot and killed. And just like that, a ripple between two neighbors turned into an organized act of genocide and ethnic cleansing. A lot of people lost their lives in a matter of hours in each country. Because my parents were originally from Senegal and we were living in Mauritania, our family became a target. Without any meaningful intervention from the authorities, these mobs went from door to door looking for people to kill. So it made sense that my mother didn't open the door because she would have given us away due to the fact that she did not speak the local language. But my sister and I knew that someone had to answer the door and that someone had to be us. We looked at each other and, as if we could read each other's minds, we walked to the door and cracked it open. They immediately tried to get in and they started asking, are there Senegalese here in this house? And we responded in the local language, no, no, there are no Senegalese here. And we convinced them that they didn't need to come in, but they were insist insistent and they wanted to come in because one of them had seen which is ironic because he lived in the neighborhood, he had seen that Senegalese people would come and go in our house. And I managed to convince him that my mother, when my, when my father passed away, my mother was selling knickknacks and, and food and, and milk to people of the neighborhood. And that's how she was helping make ends meet at the time. And she was selling milk to, this is custom-made homemade milk, homemade milk that she was selling to everyone in the neighborhood, including Senegalese people, Mauritanian people, everyone. And that is why that you are seeing people coming and going in this house, house sometimes. And that managed to convince them to walk away. And once they did, we realized that had they come in, they would have killed all of us because some of our neighbors who were not as fortunate were hiding in our very own house. This, of course, led to the realization that we had to flee the country, that we had to leave to save our lives. My mother had my sisters go to the Senegalese embassy and they were eventually evacuated out of the country. My mother and I stayed behind because I wanted to finish the final school semester. In hindsight, 15-year-old me was making a terrible, terrible decision. But we realized that we were no longer safe in our own home. So my mom had a friend, a Mauritanian friend that she really trusted. We managed to go there and stay with her. But one night, my mother decided that she was going to go check on our home. And she never came back. So all of a sudden, I found myself in a country that no longer wanted me, a country where I didn't feel safe, having to figure out what to do. So I did the only thing that I thought would keep me safe. I went to stay at a Red Crescent refugee camp. Red Crescent is the name of the Red Cross in certain countries around the world. The camp was really overcrowded because it was welcoming a lot of other Senegalese people and in fact foreigners who were fleeing from the mobs. 
It was overwhelming, it smelled bad, the, the amenities were truly, truly overwhelmed by the sheer volume of people who were coming in every day. I slept wherever I could find shelter, on the floor, on cardboard boxes, anywhere I could claim a small piece of dirt as my own. More importantly, getting access to food rations was really, really difficult. At the time, I was about 146 to 150 pounds or so. I was skinny, 15 years old. And the first couple of times the food ration truck came, people swarmed it. I nearly got crushed by the crowd trying to get food. I was barely eating and I was in a constant state of hunger. I quickly realized that if I was going to survive this camp, I had to do something. I was going to starve if I didn't find a way to get any food. So I found four other refugees who were stronger, bigger, they were adults, and I managed to convince them to pull our resources together. Either I somehow managed to convince them or they took pity on me. Either way, it worked. We formed a tightly knit and effective crew and pulled our resources together. The camaraderie and the sense of belonging helped strengthen my resolve and helped me survive the refugee camp. Eventually, I got sent to Senegal through an air bridge that was organized by the international community where they were sending Senegalese people to back to Senegal and Mauritanian people back to Mauritania, vice versa. When I landed in the capital city of Senegal, Dakar, the only thing I had was a street address that my mother had mentioned when she realized that we had to flee the country and the name of my uncle who lived in Senegal. I only ever remember going to Senegal when I was very young. I was about five or six years old. When my grandmother died, we went to visit. We took a road trip there. So I had no idea whether I would find them or not. So I spent half a day asking around the town until someone pointed me to a house. I knock on the door and a young woman opens the door and says, can I help you? I said, I hope so. I am looking for my uncle. And I said my uncle's name. I read on her face that she was really confused. She was wondering who I was and what I wanted. I told her who I was. I am the son of so-and-so, the younger brother of your father. At that very moment, I heard an explosion of voices coming from the living room. It was my aunt, my cousins, and most of all, my mother and my sisters, whom I thought I would never see again. They were crying tears of joy. Apparently, they thought I was dead. They were preparing to mourn my passing when I showed up. There I was, skinny, exhausted, but I was alive and well. By the way, if you are thinking that this story is insane, that I should write a book about it, the answer is yes. I am working on a memoir that will be likely called Fiery Banks, Stories of Resilience from a West African Childhood. I will link to it in the show notes if you're interested in, in following the book or in, in seeing, in hearing when I release the book. I'll let you know. So what does this story have to do with resilience? Well, this life experience taught me a lot about myself and about resilience. When I looked back at this specific experience and other challenging events that happened in my life, I realized that there were some principles, 
some pillars that I applied, whether knowingly or not, that helped me survive not just my time in the camp, but in other rocky situations in my life. And I want to share with you three of those pillars that I learned. And by the way, I did do a TV interview on this. It's a four-minute interview that I will link to in the show notes if you want to check it out and listen to it. The first one is called micro-resilience events. So this is a term that I coined for that experience. Micro-resilience events are these very small and seemingly insignificant challenges that we all go through in life. So think about the first time that you fell off your bicycle and you were learning to ride your bicycle. Think about the first time that you hit your head and as a child and you were crying. Think about the first time that someone broke your heart. Think about the first time that someone passed away and you actually were conscious enough and old enough to understand what that meant. And on and on and on. So all of these challenges by themselves, I call them micro-resilience events by themselves, are insignificant. They're just a pebble in the sand, right? But when you put them together, when you look back, you realize that you have a list of resilience, events that were basically building you up to be a stronger human being that can face a bigger challenge at some point in your life. Think about that. Everything that you go through on a daily basis, every challenge that you've gone through in your life up to this point has been basically building you up to be stronger, to be a stronger, more resilient individual. So that's the first one. The second one is what I would call the village effect. The village effect refers to the ability to leverage the power of a small group of people within your community. It could be a smaller, tight-knit community, your friends, your tight friends, your family. It could be your neighborhood. It could be a mastermind group. It could be a number of things. But these are a group of people that you trust, that you go to to get help. When I came to the United States, and it's been some 20-plus years ago, I noticed the difference between the way people live in Senegal, in West Africa, and the way people live here. The number one thing that struck me was the pace of things. Everything was quick, go, 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 right? Everything seems to be on a schedule, right? We are just going through life very quickly, so quickly that we don't stop sometimes and realize that there are other things in life that we can enjoy, not only enjoy, but take advantage of. And one of those is that when we run into a problem, quite often in some of these individualistic society, being an individual and being taught to be strong and to face challenges and do everything by yourself is a very good skill to have. However, there are situations where you need to leverage your community. You don't have to do everything by yourself. And certainly, one of the worst things you can do is take on a burden whether it's a moral, psychological, by yourself, it's best to share that burden with someone, even if it's just talking to someone, even if it's just connecting with someone who has gone through the same challenge. And in this case, someone's multiple people who have gone through the same challenge to actually help you and show you that there is hope, that there is light at the end of the tunnel and that you can overcome this. And when you leverage that, that village, you start to unload the weight of the world that you feel like you have on your shoulders when you're going through something difficult in your life. 
And that's a very powerful thing to be aware of and to tap into. You don't have to do it alone. And the, that's what the village effect is. And this is something that I had when I was back home immediately. It was just taken for granted. People around you supported you and helped you. And even the way the families are structured in West Africa, for example, where I'm from, you have mom, dad, grandma, your uncle. When I was growing up, my, my uncle lived with, with us. Uh, some third cousins lived with us. We always had someone, an extended family member living with us, and we always had multiple people in the family. And that was truly, truly an experience because I learned from all of those people, but also I also was supported by all of those people. And I felt like I can confide in someone and always felt supported and felt like, felt, felt like I was part of a family. It doesn't mean that you can't do the same thing and find your tightly knit village. So that's the second pillar of resilience I want to share with you. The third one is the power of flexibility. This is about having a flexible mindset as a core skill to adapt to situations, particularly new situations. One thing that is constant is, is change in life. Everything changes. The seasons pass. People get older. At work, things change. You get a new manager, you get new leadership, you get new management, you get new software. If you stick to your gun, things can be very difficult. I want to share with you a quick story from a French poet by the name of Jean de La Fontaine. He wrote a lot of fables in French. And one of those fables was the story of, in French, it's Le Chien et le Roseau, which in English translates to the reed and the oak tree. Now this is a story of an oak tree that was very strong and that stood firm and stood against the wind and was very strong, was hundreds and hundreds of years old. And it made fun of a small reed that was near it. It will make fun of it whenever the wind picked up. It will laugh at it saying, oh, look at you. You bounce like a leaf at the wind, making fun of it. And one day a hurricane came and the oak tree, just like it did before in multiple hurricanes, stood firm, did not budge because it's a strong and firm and sturdy tree, right? But the wind blew so, blew so hard that the reed, which is smaller and more flexible, was hitting either side of the ground and the oak tree was making fun of the reed. Of course, what ended up happening is because the oak tree was resisting the wind, it got uprooted. The reed survived the storm. The moral of the story is this. Change is constant. If you are unwilling to be flexible to change or to something that comes to you, whether it's something as simple as your wife or your spouse asking you to try something, or at your company, maybe they change management or they change some software and you're not willing to change this. We've, been, we've done it this way for 30 years. We're not going to change anything. It has worked for 30 years. I'm not changing anything. That kind of mentality. You are going to have some serious challenges in your life. Flexibility is one of the core skills of human beings. It's one of the strongest skills that we have. And when I think about the things that I went through in my life, moving from one country to another to flee, 
for my life, and then moving to the United States and leaving everything behind and being fully uprooted, having to learn a new language, a new culture, new customs, and so on and so forth. Flexibility is what got me through it, partially. There are other things, of course, in thinking positively, having a positive mindset, and being willing to adapt and to adjust. So that's the third pillar of resilience that I want to teach you. If you combine all of these pillars together, first we talked about micro-resilience event, events, the things that happen in your life that maybe you know it or you don't realize it, they are making you stronger. Right? I'm not saying that everything makes you stronger and that you don't have the right to, to feel sad or to crumble. Yes, we fall, but we get up and continue. And we learn from that struggle that becomes resilience or it translates into resilience. So number one, micro-resilience events. Number two was the village effect. Leverage your community, leverage your friends, those you trust to help you get through a tough time. In our society, at least in the United States and, and I believe in most other other Western countries, it, it is done through communities, maybe some groups that come together that talk about their issues in a place where they feel safe and they feel hurt. And the final one is the power of flexibility, which I just talked about. And the reason I wanted to share this is to show you that because we're moving so fast in life, we don't stop and think that we have it within us to overcome many, many challenges that in some cases we think we are not equipped to deal with. But by slowing down and just taking a moment to be with ourselves, to be present in the moment, and to just open our, our minds to what we can do, you can do amazing things. You can reach your goals, you can overcome challenges, you can do a lot more things. That, my friend, is why I believe you can do amazing things and you can overcome challenges just like I did, just like many, many millions of other people are doing around the world in situations where some of us would crumble. Before I go, I have a question for you. Do you feel you could use some guidance in your life? If you are struggling to figure things out on your own, whether it's setting goals, building better habits, learning to overcome challenges, I would like to invite you to have a conversation with me. I will help you unearth the things that are not working in your life and help you take concrete, actionable steps that will take you from where you are now to where you want to be and where you see yourself and be very clear on your goals, your life, and your purpose on this planet. Go to my website at umarjang.com and book a call for us to connect. You can find the show notes for today's episode on my website at umarjang.com forward slash session number 40. If you enjoyed the story that I shared here, I felt like I wanted to share more of who I am and where I come from and what I learned from my struggles. Pull out your phone and give me a follow or better yet, let me know what you think by leaving a review. I would love to hear what you think about the show. Thank you for listening and thank you for spending part of your day with me today. Until next time, please stay safe and motivated. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Motivational Voice Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate it on iTunes. Get show notes and the latest blog posts at omarjang.com. 